Hello and welcome to another episode of the PD Performance Podcast. Today's episode of the podcast is with sports nutritionist John O'Connor. John has been working with the Kerry senior footballers for the last year, so we talked a little bit about what are the common questions that crop up in an elite inter-county team like that. We talked about alcohol consumption in the GAA and in sport and giving athletes autonomy over their own lives. We also spoke about the HPX conference that he attended yesterday. We talked about John's career and what he's had to go through to get to where he is now and the career and the industry as a whole in terms of nutrition and S&C. So loads in this one, guys. I hope you really, really enjoy it. And if you do enjoy it, please remember to like it, share it and send it. John, welcome to the PD Performance Podcast. We've had a fair old chinwag there off air, but how's the farm and how has the trip to Dublin been and what's the plan for the weekend? Uh, very good. Yeah, delighted to be here and, and much appreciate the invitation. Um, yeah, obviously it was up, but I know you plan on getting into it. It was up for the HPX uh, Performance Nutrition uh, Conference, which was very good. It was thankfully well worth my trip up. Um, plan for the weekend is... Fill the belly. Uh, Dingle Food Festival is on this weekend, so it's a um, big weekend by a stall at Dingle. So, around the various food stalls, trying all the different the different grub, and we have um, Dingle playing the Gale as well um, in the the last game of the the, the group stage, I suppose, the county championship. So, we've that to attend as well. And on Saturday in Dingle, it's a home game, thankfully, so we don't have to to stray too far. A busy weekend planned. Yeah. So we're going to get into the nutrition conference, but it sounds like, from what you've said there, and given that you're in that field, are you a bit of a foodie yourself in general? Like, and is that why you got into nutrition, or was that something that grew as you got more into your role? I suppose as a sports nutritionist. Yeah, food. You know, would be probably an understatement to be honest. I I love my grub, but I suppose sports. I've always been interested in sports, and I suppose when I do. Sports science in UL was my undergraduate and I suppose when I got into sports science I knew you're probably going to have to do a master's in, in some aspect of sports science. It's such a broad course I think that the time comes where you have to say okay what's, what am I most interested in here and at the time I was very interested in sports psychology actually uh, and I was kind of wean- I was kind of s- steered away from that by a, an actual respected figure in, in sports psychology to be honest and and it was difficult to get jobs in it at the time. Um, and upon reflection, I took a year after graduating from sports science in UL to kind of think about it. And uh, I decided nutrition was the, the perfect meeting point of food and sport, uh, two things I'm, I'm mad about. So it was a, a natural a natural enough progression from there, really. I decided then to do a master's. And yeah, it's just been in, in sports nutrition ever since. And loving it, thankfully. So you were up for the conference out in the sports campus. You said you were incredibly impressed with both the campus and the content of the conference. What were the major takeaways from the conference for you? And then what blew you away about the campus as well? Um, the scale of the campus actually really blew me away because I got a taxi out. I was staying in a, a nearby hotel and it was a 10-minute taxi drive and... My man pulled in the indicator and it was Sport Ireland campus. I said, oh, this is me. Like, I'd hop out here. <laughs> I didn't realize the scale of it. I had about a half an hour walk from there down to the 
down to the the conference room where it was on. So yeah, I mean, it's it's incredible. So that I suppose before even getting in the doors, that blew me away straight away. But the the content and the delivery and the quality of of the speakers. Yeah, there was lots and lots of food for thought. Body composition in sport was the, the, the topic. And yeah, heading into the next season, there was certainly a lot to ponder over in terms of practice and, and uh, how we use the data, I suppose, and, and body composition. And I suppose, again, we spoke a little bit about it off air before coming on. As an S&C coach, it's something you obviously deal very closely with also. Um, this pressure or, or, or yeah probably social pressure and players feel to look a certain way rather than performance focused and, and yeah just in terms of practice how we deal with that as practitioners the different methods we can use the context we have to provide when dealing with body comp so certainly lots to chew on after it and, and yeah that was probably the main takeaway is probably having to reflect on how we analyse body comp and what we need to give with that number rather than just provide here's your body fat percentage here's your lean mass you need to provide a little bit of context and information to players I think as to how to how to take it the overall picture I think you know so yeah lots to lots to reflect on certainly for sure after it it is an interesting one because often players will feel like they have to look like a Gaelic footballer or what the best looking physique in Gaelic football looks like. Yeah. Whereas like, as you touched on there, alluded to, it's not just looking fit, it's being fit for purpose. And we had a very, very good conversation on here in the past. And it was around, some players play a different style of game to other players, so they're not suited to looking like certain players. Ronaldinho, uh, Luka Doncic. Absolutely. Like, there's examples in any sport. Even if you look at the Rugby World Cup at the moment, there's uh, Uni Antonio or Ben Tamiafuna are playing tie head for their respective countries and they're up near 140 kilos. Tyke Furlong isn't there, but Tyke Furlong's role that he plays for Ireland is a different role, even though it's the same position, than those two players play for their respective countries. So is that something that you talk about with players at all in terms of like... And you might speak to the S&C coach around that as well is what their needs are for the coming season I know you touched on needs analysis already is is that something that you would speak about with them and then how do you identify with them what's the best body type or functional fitness I guess for their position and their role yeah that look that was probably one of my main takeaways as well after yesterday is that when when working towards a certain body composition goal with any athlete or any physique goal or whether it be it be gains in lean mass be it, be it reductions in fat mass ideally you should have it have a, a profile on a player and again this is another big takeaway I was I'd lots of takeaways from yesterday but I think the need for um, a very close relationship with your sports scientist and, and who's running your GPS data around where players are at and, and where their metrics are best. And obviously that's performance. It's a performance game. Yep. So I think that open relationship with a sports scientist, you know, um, his numbers are very good tonight. You know, he was moving very well tonight. He covered X amount, high, whatever it might be. And I think then 
having a, a profile with a player a player profile where you can you know start piecing the jigsaw puzzle together rather than having one set data point this body fat percentage or you know it's it's a, it's about I suppose having a range yeah. it's not one set point like I mean and even for example the data takes or the data you do a DEXA I mean the amount that influences that I mean like I don't think players actually aware of that either you know the the effect hydration has the the, the your your whether you're glycogen loaded or not glycogen loaded those effects on, on lean mass and so it's it's really about I think giving as much information around it as possible and and the main take what I've had even from 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 this year the main point that I try to reiterate to players always is lower isn't better you know like when it comes to body fat percentage lower isn't better and in fact you know I'd hear players being like she sucked so ninety percent you know. She's, he's an animal he's a freak and you're kind of like <laughs> you're never going to be like like he's do you realise it's genetics or, and he's useless it's <laughs> <laughs> not starting with it but I mean the likelihood is as well like if if you're going to be 9% you're going to be under fueled like you won't be bad like you're going to be injured you're going to be sick you know so yeah it's about that information piece around body camp and yeah i was my mind was racing for that whole conference summer yesterday to be honest so it was good i am interrupting the podcast to let you guys know that i have 10 spaces available for online coaching in november i've limited spaces available because october has been such a successful month for me however given that now i'm on the road and i'm focusing primarily on the individualized coaching i'm going to open up 10 more spaces in november if athletes want to take them to elevate their performance to new levels that they haven't reached before it's the off season so it's time to get that extra work done if you want to be a better athlete next season message me on instagram with the dm titled premium if you want to take one of those spaces and don't wait around because October has been a great month for me, which means that the service is obviously providing tremendous value. So if you want to take one of those spaces, DM me immediately. And now back to the podcast. So in terms of pieces of research that were presented, was there anything, as you just said there, that really got your mind racing that you were like, oh my God, that's broken a real mindset that I have held or a belief that I've held for a long time? Yeah, it definitely identified, look, and as a practitioner, I'd like to think I'm always, I, at least, attempt to be evidence-based and and, and, impl- and implement best practice. But upon some of the research yesterday, I'm kind of thinking back here, going, jeez, <laughs> like, I'm going to have to reflect on this or how I operate here, because I suppose it is such a, and even I did the ISAC course as well, level one recently, and um you know, it's 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 very invasive, and and I mean, you're you're literally you're pulling at abdominal, like do you know the subcutaneous fat at someone's abdominal, and it's like you know, it's 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 not nice, and 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 I just think that it, it's it speaking about somebody's weight or body composition is such a sensitive topic, like and especially in this day and age where there's extra extra societal pressures to look a certain way, as we mentioned, like, and then extra as an athlete, you know, it needs to be treated as such you know I think oftentimes we throw around we, again we spoke a little bit about before coming on air this terminology like oh my man has wintered well or do you know what I mean a bit of an arse in your man or whatever it might be but I think like the I think we don't really realise the effects that that can have on, on players you know and and from a practitioner standpoint what they might do to their dietary habits in an attempt to, to try and lose weight rapidly do you know so 
Yeah, but in terms, sorry, again, I've gone a little bit off the track, but in terms of research, I haven't had the opportunity to get stuck into it yet because I think it only got published two days ago. It's for public access, so it was presented actually yesterday, so we kind of got forced insight into it or at least made aware of it. There's a, a new IOC consent or a statement released on, on body composition and rates um, and body composition assessment, so I get stuck into that. Uh, I get stuck into that maybe next week. So um, that is that's as I say, fresh off the press. So that'll have uh, that'll have all the the key takeaways. I think summarised hopefully from 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 the weekend and, and best practice going forward. In terms of a general consensus post conference and your major takeaway, it sounds like a lot of it is coming down to the usual thing of I need to make informa- information more accessible and digestible for my athletes because the number one thing is that they understand what has been presented to you at the conference I guess and the way it was presented to you at the conference probably isn't digestible for them yeah and again like that's 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 what our job is really isn't it in a nutshell is kind of you're a translator or a mediator between the research and your everyday player and again I work in GA our fellas are teachers fellas and I, and that's one thing I struggled with actually at the start of my career was taking for granted that someone has the same interests as you have you know because you're so interested in food and nutrition you, you kind of take for granted that someone knows what protein sources are or you, you, what macronutrients are and you're kind of like you know you need X, Y and Z or whatever and you're expecting them to know one thing I think I've, I'd like to think I've gotten better at is realising that not everyone is interested in nutrition and, and, and performance maybe um, so yeah you're trying to digest you're trying to break down the information and I think there's 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 I think Graham Close has a, a, a paper published that's actually titled this from paper to podium do you know and that's what you're trying to do you're trying to translate that paper the research and what we know and what's best practice into easily digestible takeaways but yeah so when presenting this information to players it's just so important that you you speak to the, the, I suppose the overall performance picture rather than this is her body fat percentage, you know, which I probably would have been guilty of previously, to be honest. And it is something that we keep coming back to: is body fat percentage, body composition, and it's probably more talked about in Gaelic games than it is in other sports in the country, I'd say. And you've obviously had experience at the highest inter county level possible over the last year is it the big topic still in amongst that kind of a group like and to what extent then are you diving into finer details with a group of maybe a higher level of performance or is it very much still basic level understanding that you're going through yeah to be honest when i got involved with kerry I guess I, for some reason, assumed that the messages were going to be far more complex and, and like we were going to be get delving into minerals and, and, and micronutrients don't the last milligram or whatever it might be. But no, it's you find that, and again, to go back to the point, GA, at the end of the day, technically is an amateur sport. Like, I mean, these, there's guys who teach, there's guys, you know, who work in banks, you know, uh, working in the family business. So it's it's the same messages it's 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 going to be an unpopular opinion like but GA is for me a low-hanging fruit I mean if you can do the bit it's again it's not sexy it's not what it's not what sells on Instagram 
But I mean, if you do the basics well at GA, and I mean sleep, manage your nutrition well, hydrate before training, all those things that we all know. But if you do those very, very well, you're going to be doing this. You're going to be better than... The majority. The, the vast majority, I would say, to be honest about it, you know. And I know these Normatec boots are sexy and, and, and all that, and you know more about this than me, but I mean, if you're not managing your sleep and your nutrition first and foremost, and that's that's basic, you know. Uh, it's funny that the Normatec always comes with an Instagram post. Yeah, yeah. I would be interested to see how many people really use the Normatec and never posted it at yeah. all. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Very high correlation between posts and, and Normatec, sorry, definitely I... Yeah, I'd say there's some fellas that just get into them, take the photo and get back up on them, to be honest. And there does exist a bit of a culture as well in GA of, I want to be seen to be doing this. And it's not just in GA, it's in every sport, I suppose. But like, it's doing the the hard graph that goes unseen that is going to lead to you being a better player. And that is not that sexy. Like, that is going to bed at 10pm. That is fueling right pre-session so that you're not eating a massive meal before you go to bed. That is hydrating throughout the day. And it is, in a nutshell as well, we've, we've touched on jobs and external stressors. It is managing your stress appropriately throughout the week and throughout the, the day to lead you to performing your best when it comes to training session or game day. And that's one thing that is often missed, I think, is people have a really, really stressful day at work consistently and then they turn up and they expect to be shooting the lights out at training and I'm afraid if you've all these other things going on in the back of your head and you're getting into golf now as well so we for you can probably empathize with this for sure but like <laughs> you're not going to perform absolutely or you're less likely to perform let's say 100% and that's why I think um the, the most successful coaches, like that big Ange that's, that's making waves now with spurs and stuff, I mean, it's it's the most successful coaches for me are the ones that deal with a person first that realise, look, you have a life, you have two kids at home, your your, your wife is pregnant again, you know. Um, we're all, like, it's sport. It's, it's, it's just one aspect of people's lives, you know, and I think as coaches and managers, the best ones for me are the ones that realise that and, and like, realise the ones... Um, Realise that it's there's other stuff going on in your life. Do you know what I mean? And like for people, just because it's your one hundred percent, and that's what I even it's it kind of comes back to my point earlier on a little bit about as a practitioner because you because you're interested in it because it's your all and be all and end all. You expect that of someone else, but that's not the reality. Like it's just it's sport. It's more. It means more to people than others. I mean, you know, athletes. I'm sure you've worked with athletes that just happen to enjoy it and who are incredibly talented it's just they show up on a Sunday laid in gear bag over the back and they're they're just class you know <laughs> like so like you, you you have to and I think again like I think there's a very good clip of uh, I think it was Liam Sheedy or someone where he, he shoves someone into the back and then he's whispering into another fella's ear you know I have to know what's, what's going on I think and deal with people first understand their personalities building relationships with them and know what motivates them, I think, you know, so, yeah. Absolutely, and, like, you you have to coach a person first, so you have to know them before, and you have to listen to them before you start giving out advice, because you need to understand where they're at and then meet them there, I guess. And that is probably a mistake of 
younger practitioners is they come in with all this knowledge and all this oh we're doing this and this because of this and this and the the athletes just standing there looking at you being like well I don't give a shite like um, just tell me what to do and and I'll do it or else maybe on the other side of it they might not do it because oftentimes the worst way to get somebody to uh, work with you or to do what you want them to do is to tell them why they should be doing it yeah you have to let them want to work with you I guess something I've spoken about before but we're touching there on common issues around what we're focusing on with GA players and real low hanging fruit something that popped off yesterday on social media you might not have seen it because you're at the conference was this picture of Conor Murray and Peter Romani having a glass of wine and all of these conversations on Twitter which probably is the worst place to go you should probably try to stay off it's, 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 it, you get it you get it you, you do get a, a, a an understanding of the general consensus alright true sure, you know, true but you also get very polarizing oh, absolutely, you absolutely but I think that that's uh, yeah you need to know <laughs> I think as a viewer and as a Twitter user you need to know uh, the spectrum and, and absolutely how you navigate it but the chat was well look if these players at the highest level of their sport are overplaying in the pinnacle of their sport in the World Cup and are having a few glasses of wine midweek. Why are some GA clubs still employ- employing a drinking ban for the whole championship campaign? Now, from my perspective, I don't know that many clubs that are doing a broadcast drinking ban anymore, but there probably are some. What do you believe the problems are with doing that? And what may it lead to, I guess. Yeah, I, it's a trick. What's your own perspective on it first? Actually? I suppose, look, first and foremost, I think when you discuss alcohol and alcohol use in sport, I think you have to start with the effects it has on performance and, and which that's not good. We know that's not good. Recovery is on the floor. Sleep is impacted. You know, that adaptation, if you're drinking after... After a training session, obviously, that adaptation is basically non-existent, you know, so you're basically not improving. The research is very clear amongst team sports that binge drinking is far more prevalent in team sports, which isn't surprising if you were to have a, a blanket drinking ban from period A to period B, you know, that, that players will leave the hair on or whatever. When And again, we've all been in dress rooms when the manager says, Go for a few tonight, lads, and there's fellas fucking nudging, nudging each other, winking across the room, and that means tomorrow as well. You know, and all of a sudden it's 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 three days or whatever it is. So, um, again, boring answer. Context, I think, is everything. Like, I think pros, the pros to a few drinks with a team, I've seen it myself, can be massive in terms of morale. You know out for a few pints the quiet reserve fella says a joke and the whole squad is laughing and we're like Jesus I never thought he'd do you know what I mean I never thought he'd that and I'm like and all of a sudden you know it's you're laughing about it you hear it come up again in the training sessions afterwards and stuff like that so there's times absolutely um, it would be great to be to, and I think it's it's for sure the way forward not to have a blanket a blanket drinking ban for a club for a club team I mean, the, and again, I've I've actually had this conversation with a professional athlete who's over in Australia, and the thought of a blanket trip, they could not get their head around the idea of blanket trip, but they just and these players aren't getting paid, you know, like 
and he was an Australian fellow himself. They're, they're, they're not getting paid. They train two or three times a week and they can't train from period A to period B. And you're like, yeah, pretty much. You know, he's like, it's mental, Mac. He was like, that is mental. So I, I, it'd be great. I think getting rid of the blanket drinking lines is for sure the way forward. But, uh, and giving players autonomy as to, I, I mean, if you're playing at any way decent level, you're going to know alcohol is not good for you and you know it's the impact it's going to have on your performance. So you'd like to be able to give players and trust players to, to make, I suppose, the right decisions around alcohol, do you know? And I think the right decisions around alcohol mightn't mean a drinking ban per se, but it's taking a rational approach to your consumption of alcohol, same as your consumption of anything. The issue is that because it exists, this culture of binge drinking, some lads on the team can't have a couple of drinks. <laughs> Which is why probably in the past managers found it easier to just say like, okay, no one drink anything. Yeah, yeah. Because it was black or white. It's like, I can't trust them to go and have two. So I'm just going to tell them not to drink at all. And I think the important thing as well is like, Peter and Connor Murray were having a couple of glasses of white wine. Like they're not exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. on the session. And I think that 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 is that has been an issue in teams that I've been involved in before. <laughs> drinking is ca- is classified as drinking. Yeah, like a glass of wine for some reason is equal to t- twelve pints. You know, and like, yeah, it's you know, it's like the two boys were drinking last night. One fella might have been out with his missus for a meal and had a glass of red wine, and another fella might have been in the pub since twelve o'clock of the day. You know, drinking all day long, and all of a sudden. The two guys are getting the same, treatment, <laughs> the same yeah. treatment. So I think it's very important to obviously again put a bit of context in it and and yeah, but I think definitely eradicating the bands is, is certainly the way forward for me. And I think you have to have trust in the players as well, because if you don't have trust in them, they're more likely to not align with whatever you've outlined is acceptable I would say because they're going to know that you don't have trust in them by saying okay you're not allowed to drink at all whereas if you say to them look you can have a few just take it easy maybe they're probably more inclined to have their two three four drinks and then go home and they'll be happy with them and realistically it's probably going to have minimal effects on your performance given the way the season has kind of it's different in Kerry now, I know, because you have a crazy amount of matches. But in most counties, it's a bi-weekly cycle to games. So if you do have a couple of drinks after one of your, your games, like, so be it. Like, as you said, it's an opportunity for connection and to enjoy yourselves, which is very important for team morale. It just probably does need to stop on that Saturday night or that Sunday or whatever you play and not roll into the next day. But if you're allowing them to drink with their own kind of thoughts in mind or with their own level of autonomy throughout the week, they're probably less likely to go on that two-day session because, look, I could have drank during the week, I just didn't want to. And it's, I think it goes back again to that point of putting person first, you know, the coach and putting, as you said, that trust in them to make the right choices. And I just think personally there's something very, very wrong with it a grown man or woman yep. telling another grown man or woman that they can't do something. I mean, that to me is, that's weird and I just don't, I, I wouldn't feel comfortable ever telling someone you can't do that. Do you know? Who am I, like who am I, who am I to tell you who's maybe older than me, has achieved more than me, you know, and is more talented than me in their sport 
that they can't do something. I mean, that to me feels strange. And again, it's just it's very authoritative, isn't it? It is, and it, it never works, man. I, it, in my opinion, it never works. Telling someone that they can't do something, it inevitably, it inevitably turns around, turns into someone going to who's your man? Who's your man telling me I can't? You know, and and you know, it's it's like do whatever you want. Just come up to tr- come up to train at Tuesday and be ready to go. You know, and I think it's changing in terms of coaching style as well that it's more of a collaboration with especially the younger athletes now they're not really responding to that authoritative style at least for the most part like the majority aren't responding as well as people have in the past so it probably needs to change to a more more of a conversation rather than this is what I'm outlining and you must do this this and this it needs to be okay what's the plan for the week um okay, how can we manage that to get the most out of our training and our matches and have you feeling the best come match day, which is what important to you as well. And then you're working with the athlete as opposed to telling them what they can and can't do, as you said. Absolutely. I mean, I one thing I noticed this year, I mean, being around the dress room, the Kerry dress room, I mean, like, they're smart. Like, they're they're smart men. Like, I mean, they, they, a lot of the time they know what to do. They just need some fine tuning or guidance or confirmation that they're doing the right things, you know. And that's 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 a lot of your job, being honest about it, you know. But I mean, to tell someone who's who's smarter than me and, and like or, or whatever it might be that they can't drink or that they can't do X and Y just to me makes it's not it's not healthy, being honest about it, you know. And and it's not forward thinking. It's not progressive. I don't think. And what then are the common questions that crop up again and again? for players you've worked with. And you've said that it's not that different from moving from a club setup to an inter-county setup. Is it the same questions around alcohol consumption that are asked? Or are there any questions around alcohol consumption asked at all? No, never, never ever around alcohol consumption, to be honest. I think one thing that, that is forgotten about alcohol as well is that, like, alcohol is quite energy densely. There's seven calories per gram of alcohol. And, and if you're having eight, nine pints, like, you know that's a lot of calories you know and no matter what I remember it was like oh it's grand I was on the vodka I was on the vodka and sparkling water like alcohol is alcohol <laughs> like you know there's still 40% alcohol in that vodka you had you know so it's still quite there's a lot of calories in it you know and then when I was like oh, yeah, it's grand I didn't eat dog <laughs> <laughs> I'm like oh man but uh, after a match like yeah yeah exactly exactly I suppose it's it's it is a little bit misfortunate in that the, the times that are suited to drinking alcohol in GA come right after a game, you know. So I suppose the importance, even at club level, for anyone listening to family club, the importance of getting a feed, a feed in, and again taking those those hours of recovery, you're you know rehydrating, repairing with protein, you know refueling with carbohydrate, you know they're all important to do before you before you ideally drink any drink any plate, you know rehydrating the big one because obviously the diuretic effect of alcohol as well so yeah take that box first and then enjoy enjoy your pints so what does come up time and time again is it always body composition or was there anything particularly interesting that you covered over the last season uh you might have a player kind of thinking geez i i ran out of legs there a little bit earlier than i might have before might that be might that be a nutritional issue you know um and you kind of go, oh, did you do anything different? You know, is your fueling strategy anyway different to what you might have been? How did you sleep last night? You know, it's very basic questions, but it's just trying to get to the root of why they might have felt flat. It might be nothing to, might be not, absolutely nothing to do with nutrition. You know, they might have, they might, towards the end of the conversation, tell you they played around the golf the day before or something. You're kind of going, well, maybe, maybe the golf 
Or they broke up with their girlfriend. Yeah, uh, exactly. Like, I mean, this, these are the things. I mean, and again, oftentimes nutrition is 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 questioned or, or fueling or whatever it might be is the one that's kind of put into question. But oftentimes it's something different. But when it comes to the same stuff over and over again, body composition is surely one, like, obviously. Um, Number one. What, what weight should I be? And you're like, that's a fairly loaded question, man. Do you know what I mean? Like, what way are you right now? Like, where are you after coming from? Where you like, where are we here? Like, do you know what I mean? That is a loaded question. Uh, what body fat percentage should I be? You know, and then you say, well, it's a bit of a range. It's broad, and they go, well, how much is he? How much is X? You know, how, what is what's his body count? And you're like, you're not him. You, you won't be him ever. We're what we're talking about you here. It's your. You know what I mean? It's it's. So it is. It is the same questions. You know. Um, the the, the 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 messages that I find myself delivering all the time and repeating myself on carbohydrates is still a huge one. I mean, there is still that deep-rooted fear around carbohydrates and the misconception of the link between carbohydrates and weight gain. Um, overconsumption of protein, like, I mean, anything excess of two grams per kg body weight for athletes, unless they're injured or maybe going through a period of body fat reduction, no need for anything excessive of that. And Sometimes I could see players eating 2.5, 2.6 grams of kg, per kg body weight and protein and really skipping then a carbohydrate. But what they don't realize is that they contain the exact same amount of calories. So if they were to reduce down their protein, which in their mind is, I'm going to lose, I'm going to waste away the nodding here, like I'm going to lose significant amounts of muscle mass, muscle mass, and gain fat mass. They don't want that, you know. So it's trying to educate them around that it's their own energy balance. You know, anything over two grams per kg by the way of protein isn't going to be dictated towards muscle protein synthesis really. You know, so you're you're hitting your spot here. We need to reduce protein a little bit, increase carbohydrate. I find myself from club level right up to intercounty level, that message I I lose my voice some weeks from 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 trying to deliver that message. I think it's Having thought about it and reflected on it a lot, I think it's probably related or down to two main things. I think the prevalence of low carb diets and and again the, the, that misassociation between carbohydrates, weight gain, and the fact that you go out to the supermarket now and you see protein written on everything: cereals, protein milk, protein bread, protein whatever, and that association with protein and muscle mass, which obviously yes they are associated, but more isn't necessarily better. You know, same as same as like again, go back to body count. Lowest isn't always best when it goes to protein. Higher isn't always best. So, yeah, I again, I there's probably five things that I there's probably five messages I could make my career or live, live off. To be honest, if I could only say five more things, I'd say I'd, I'd probably get by as a, as a sports nutritionist. To be honest, in most cases. In relation to working with a group versus an individual. Are you best suited to one of them, do you think? And what are the challenges that present with both? Because obviously, if you're presenting in front of a group, it can be a little bit daunting to some people. I wouldn't imagine it is to you, but potentially it was when you went into the group first, although you probably knew some of them already. Yeah, I suppose that presented challenges in and of itself. Oh, that you knew them? Yeah, like, I mean, I would have spent lots of time and we'll say Tom Sullivan's brother, Jack, would be my one of my great buddies like so I would have spent a lot of time in their house growing up so I know Tam very well he's my brother's best friend and Paul I would have grown up with Paul Gainey you know Barry Dan our families would be very close as well so yeah that presented challenges alright now then first it was like ah oh, the boys be looking at me here or whatever do you know but uh, no they were very she's very welcoming very receptive to whatever it was that I was I was trying to implement or say so 
very lucky in that regard, I guess. I do a little bit of lecturing myself as well, so speaking in front of people isn't really something mm-hmm. that, that phases me. Now, thankfully, there was a time where it did where the thought of getting up and speaking in front of a group, and especially when, I guess, you're coming into the Kerry Cedar footballers and you have a lot of these, you know, you're, you're kind of a little bit daunted, and I suppose, you know, you just don't want to make a clown of yourself, basically, do you know? But um, no, that's something that, that the lads were, they were made life very very easy for me do you know they were again very receptive information they, do you know it was thankfully no laughing or joking or, or uh, yeah pride and I, I don't think anyone in this was happening behind my back but not very thankfully I, I no issues in that regard really what about the one-on-ones with the lads that you knew how did they go like what was the dynamic like there was it a different kind of relationship to what the usual one would be was it very professional and did they keep it professional or was it you kind of trying to keep it as professional as possible? Yeah, it was probably, it was probably professional, but presented informally. Do you know what I mean? Like the question was, was a re, like a real question around their fueling or hydration or, or whatever it might be. You're just answering it like you're talking to one of the boys as a but you know, do you know like it, it was just a, a more free chat. Yeah. And I find a lot of conversations, to be honest with, with the lads are very informal, I, but at the end of the day, they're, their performance enhancing conversations, I think they're the best ones to be totally honest. I think being able to relate, I suppose, and having played football myself and understanding the challenges associated with various aspects of preparing for, for, for training or games. I mean, it's, it's, it's easy enough to be able to relate to the lads and, and, and keep those conversations informally. I mean, it doesn't have to be sit down across from a table with a notepad and, and a notebook. I mean, a lot of the best conversations I have happen off a whim to be honest you know somebody who, who lands into training early for a rub you're setting up your fueling station and they go come here I was, you know you're chatting about the day today and they go come here actually I meant to ask you the last day or whatever and they're they're the most valuable conversations that, that you can have to be totally honest I think that's the value of being around as much as you can possibly be being around the group and just being accessible and, and being approachable I think that's probably the best uh, uh, best quality of your training yeah. I just want to throw it back to what we were talking about in regards to high protein intake for a lot of athletes. Do you have control or some sort of control over the pre and post match meals and their preparation? And then how much of trying to get the vast majority to increase their carbohydrate consumption comes down to the structure of those meals, if you do have control, or just making carbs accessible in the dressing room? Yeah, so I I would have and I would have complete control over that. So I would be at a home game. Uh, sometimes we would have a, a schedule organised pre match meal. Depending on the stage of the year, we might again players would 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 organise themselves before arriving to to the to the pitch for away games. I liaise with the hotels obviously uh, closely and ensuring that we have adequate amounts of carbohydrates there. And when it comes to the fueling station, then it's kind of I, I guess. What I would call, what I would say to the players a top up or you know a, a safety net you know and again if again when you're talking all our quarterfinals go park semifinals nerves kick in you know and, and sometimes when it comes to and oftentimes as well if if for example it's a two o'clock game three o'clock game eight o'clock breakfast perhaps you know big you know oats toast you know it's 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 a fairly substantial meal and then by the time lunch comes around again fellas are kind of like oh facing another big a big ball past here or whatever they can find it difficult so I would then have 
an abundance of, of, of readily accessible sources there on, on a table ready to go. Just again, basics, nothing fancy, you know, cereal bars, you know, the old jellies, again, a great morale booster. Um, you know, cereal bars, you know, the, the usual sports drinks, you know, um, yeah, I would have, I would have complete control over that. And to be fair, on game day, players would be generally very, very good to 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 consume adequate amounts of carbohydrate. But it's the day before; it's still the message I I keep trying to drive home: the importance of, of of beginning your fueling the day before the game. You know, that's that's that can be a little bit of a challenge again. Something that my athletes talk about quite a lot, and you've just touched on it there. Why do you think? There exists this preoccupation with pasta. It's a GAA. They think that everything that they has to be pasta pre-game. It's the only way to yeah. carve load. It's funny, and, and when I start with someone, whenever I start with someone, you know, early do- early doors, you know, it's kind of like, oh, how'd, how'd you get out today? How'd the game go today? Um, how was your fueling? Grand, I had my ball of pasta. Do you know, I <laughs> had my ball of pasta. It's like, that's the box ticked. But like what you're trying to tell players is that 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 fueling begins, but what's the what's the association with pasta? I I really don't know. I mean, it's just another carbohydrate source. A spot will do the same. Bro. Someone said it one day. Yeah, I don't know. I I really don't know. The gooch, the gooch says he eats, he eats <laughs> pasta. It goes to me, yeah. But um, it must. I don't. Know, I don't know, I really don't know how it is. Yeah. Um. Now to be fair, it's it's. It probably goes back to something like endurance. Or I know a lot of endurance athletes use pasta as well as their their fueling source, and obviously it is a very Condensed carbohydrate source and, and ideal, it, tick, it ticks all the right boxes. But yeah, no, no. To be fair, we do have players who, who like noodles or you know rice or or whatever might be different carbohydrate sources, and we try to make them available as well to give it a little bit of an option. Like, but generally the go-to, I suppose, it ticks. It does tick all the boxes. Like, I mean, that's. I think that is why your 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 chicken pasta is just the the most standardized across all all the boards, because. Moderate in protein, high carbohydrate, low in fat, low in fiber. Bob's are ugly and it's palatable. It's not going to cause you any gastro issues, you know. So if it ain't broke, I suppose, like, you know, it's nobody. I suppose who doesn't like pasta either? <laughs> yeah, but the message, I guess, that we're sending out is it doesn't have to be. Oh, it doesn't have to be, absolutely. If you like your spuds. Yeah, absolutely. But look, again, if it ain't broke, that's my opinion. If it's if it's getting you fueled, keep, keep, yeah. keep going. <laughs> keep going. I well, I once had an athlete say to me, oh, "I struggle to carb load before a game, like because I don't like pasta, like, and that's the extent that you're yeah, dealing yeah, with yeah, sometimes. Yeah, 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 like, yeah. that's the level of knowledge they think the only way to carb load is pasta. Yeah, and that's where you come in, I guess, in your role. In regards to the role or the life of a performance nutritionist, it often seems that for most, you have to do." A, vo- a wide r- variety of roles or different jobs I suppose it's partly out of interest and to keep you dynamic and doing different things but it's partly out of necessity as well does there exist a similar thing in the nutrition industry of like having to do these roles to keep food on the table because potentially you're not getting paid enough from one role to function I suppose in today's society yeah, I guess you're kind of trying to prove your worth and prove your value as well to, to those who might be employing you or, or, or who have asked you to come on board or trying to do extra bits and you're trying to go a little bit over and beyond to justify being there. And I think in the grand scheme of things, you're probably not doing the industry any favours doing that either. You know, you're, you're there to do a job. I mean, if you value nutrition, it's 
you're there to do nutrition, you know. And look, obviously there is a necessity to wear a few hats, different points, you know. And again, because it's not one isolated area, nutrition influences injuries. So you might be at the physios, nutrition influences your obviously your, your S and C and your strength and conditioning program. So you be at the S and Cs. Uh, your GPS data will will dictate, not dictate, but at least give you a good indicator of your fueling and recovery strategy. So, but in relation to say working an inter county job, doing the lecturing, working with other club teams, working with individuals, is it a necessity that you have to do all of that stuff to take a full time wage, or is there some sports nutritionists in a small amount of roles that will just have one role with one team? I think they're being being realistic and being honest about it. Those jobs are very few in Ireland. I mean, when you think of professional teams in Ireland, I mean, you Munster, Connacht, Leinster, Ulster. Uh, but even if you look at those teams, the yeah. guys and girls that are in there are probably yeah. doing an inter-county team as well as those rugby Yeah, teams. absolutely, 100%. And, and if they're all private practice, yeah. probably busy there too. Um, for me, yeah, to like to make a, a, a decent living, I guess, definitely. I mean, I being completely and utterly honest about it, I would need to have... My my finger, and if I'm lucky to have the lecturing, you need your finger and a few pies for sure. If 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 it is, if it is a thing that you're very committed to working in in, in sports nutrition, definitely you you have to. I'm very lucky that I have I have the the lecturing I suppose at the moment to to give me a steady a steady income and and then Kerry again working with Kerry and that has bounced on to my 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 practice my own. Target nutrition is quite busy now as well, which is great. So yeah, being honest, for me at the stage that I'm at in my career, is it necessary to to have my my fingers a few pies? Absolutely, like to make it for to make it easy living, hundred percent. I mean, it's the, if your question is, could I live on being an intercounty? Yeah, basic nutritionist. No, like do you know, what? will that change or what needs to happen for that to change? Uh, it depends what I probably see. The, the way that I probably see it going is, again, might be, and again, probably the more, like, again, counties will probably start doing this is employing head of nutrition, where it's a, con- a contracted job. You're probably into schools around the county. You know, you're delivering workshops, parent workshops, and I think that that would be an un- incredible role. I think it's it would have such value. They might save money as well, counties might. 100%, man. Like, I think that's that would be a, a very useful job. I think going around, you, you actually go beyond the realm of GA, you're, you're, you're tapping into health, to commu- community health, you know, going around delivering workshops and, and nutrition presentations to schools. You're, you're, you're get more likely to get kids going up to the GA field, you know, at the club level to, to develop in GA. It, looks, it, it certainly looks progressive, you know, it's, you're informing and imp- telling parents, like again, parent workshops, how to fuel a young athlete. You know the foods you should be part of shopping list should look like, some easy meals, what a lunchbox should look like, and again, I think that that could for sure be a full time role in counties, and that's that's the way I see it going. And then maybe working with the senior team or working with a with a team then within the county, also or else being responsible for the nutritionists working within the individual team. So. Again, I'd like to think that's where it's going to go. I, I I do think that's where it's going to go eventually. It's going to be like the head of athletic development or whatever that are in counties at the moment that are full-time paid roles or whatever. And I think that they'll be head of nutrition, head of performance nutrition, you know, that are at like fully, fully contracted jobs. I think, I think that's where it might go. At the moment, obviously, it's not possible, as you said, to, to just do that inter-county role. 
it seems similar to probably the strength and conditioning industry that I'm in to be highly competitive. But what I would say is in the SNC industry, there exists like this underlying tension between other coaches often or like people looking over their shoulder at what so-and-so is doing and saying that's a lot of crap or whatever. But there doesn't seem to be that same mentality in the nutrition industry. Why do you think that is? Or am I completely wrong in that statement? No, I think you're 100% right. And, that, and, and yesterday's conference really confirmed that for me. It was so collaborative. It was so open. It was the networking there was unbelievable. Do you know, it was handshakes and discussions and chats. There was no, oh, that's your man, over. You know what I mean? Like it was, at least I, at least I hope, Natalie, that's how I felt in a way at least. But no, that, that yesterday really confirmed for me the willingness of, of, of our more renowned practitioners. I mean, like the likes of Catherine Norton, Sharon Madigan, and all these very well-known practitioners and researchers, how down to hurt the normal and open to helping you and like I'd have no issues reaching out to anyone in that room yesterday and I would have no doubt I'd get a response pretty pretty straight away and vice versa if someone ever was to reach out to me and say come here I was just wondering how you do this or do that I mean I'd have no qualms or uh, hesitation to, to letting them know and it, it showed to me that as an industry it's moving definitely in the right direction you know and I think there needs to be collaboration for that for sure you know and we're all we're all in it together, you know, we're trying to standard, we're trying to improve the industry together. Um, we're trying to implement best practice. We're trying to justify our jobs and, and let people know how important nutrition is in, in, in the in the space. And the reality is it goes beyond the same with strength conditioning. It goes beyond performance. I mean, it's it's your health and, and like well-being that you're, you're actually taking care of as well. So, I mean, yeah, I know, thankfully that, that doesn't exist. I know from, again, having done sports science myself and knowing lots of SNCs that... It's very evident in strength conditioning. Uh, you see, your man has exited his program. You know, what's he doing? Like, you know, with no context, no idea of the athletes he's working with or, or anything like that. Or process. Yes, yeah, system. Exactly. And your man is not a shot. Your man is not, your man's only a PT and he's doing this and whatever, you know. And to be fair, in my experience, at least there might be a few. I, I, if there are, I'm not aware. But that thankfully does not exist in, from my experience in sports and in, in the nutrition space. To be honest, like I know it does exist in the SNC industry, but the people that I collaborate with and associate with and chat, to, I suppose, are generally extremely open. Like, uh, I had a conversation with Owen McCabe recently, and then with Darren McGarden as well. And I like I've had athletes on calls looking to work with me. Is like, oh well, I, I was actually uh, chatting to uh, Owen, or I was chatting to Dara a couple of weeks ago, and I was like, oh yeah, yeah, I know Owen, I'm good friends with him, or I know Dara, I'm good friends, with him. like. What? Yeah. You talk to each other. It's like, yeah, we're we're good mates. It's like, oh, because they think that competition is so rife that you're not allowed to be friends with yeah, other people yeah, in the yeah, industry. Yeah. Whereas you have so much in common with these people. Of course, you'd be friends with them. Yeah. And then the realization or the reality of it is, there's a million people who play GAA. Yeah. And I said it to Owen last week. I was like. I don't know about you, but I could probably take max 30 people on at a time. Yeah, so yeah. I don't know what I'm going to do with the other almost civilian people. Yeah, like, yeah. So why would we be so competitive that you think other people are stealing your business? And often that culture of see so-and-so or see he's doing that, he hasn't a clue. It comes from an insecurity of the coach in themselves. And they also feel that they should be getting more 
than what they're getting at the moment or they deserve more than what they're getting at the moment. And I think the only way you change that is by elevating the industry so that people are paid a little bit better for their roles. Um, which is hard to do when there's such a saturation in the marketplace that people will do roles for nothing. Yeah. But people have to stop doing roles for nothing. They need to just say like, look, I need to be paid for this. And it's probably, you touched on it in our chat off air. You're probably a little bit, maybe it was an insecurity as well. You were a bit like, oh, I don't really want to charge for that yet because I, uh, I'm not confident that I'm worth that yet. Have you navigated that well, and where are you at with that now? So yeah, I'm 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 in the process now of I, I, and again going back to the, being lucky enough to have the lecturing and to have Kerry has really given me an opportunity to really fine tune my business. And I'm reading actually Dan Carter's book at the moment. It's, it's a serious read, but uh, I was reading only a couple of days ago about poetry and the plumbing and at the moment I have the poetry in place which is your idea or your your your, your structure your program so I, I, I'm working on the plumbing now at the moment as to how that will be delivered uh, and I guess I'm lucky in in that again the security of the two jobs that I have at the moment this the steadier jobs I guess is giving me <coughs> excuse me um the opportunity and it, I suppose the ability to be a little bit choosy of who I take on, who my ideal client is. So that now is someone who was working in sport. Whereas when I first qualified and I first started Target Nutrition, I felt I needed to be everything to everyone. I was giving out services for cheap. Someone who was coming to me for a wedding in five weeks, I was, you know, all in for there. Someone who was running a marathon, yeah, no bother. And, and whereas now I can thankfully be a little bit, you know, I've only 15 spaces. I decide, you know, apply, apply yeah. for a position. It's not, it's not, you know, I'm taking everyone. It's dirt cheap. It's a premium. It's it's going to be a premium package. You know, it'll be a top quality service. And yeah, you, you're lucky enough to have gotten it, I suppose, you know. So um, that's, that's. And it'll be better for you. As well. Oh, absolutely. Because you'll be more streamlined or more attentive to those people. So you'll be able to deliver a really high quality service. Today. Absolutely. Absolutely, and and the messages will be very individualised. But you know, again, it'll be the repeated messages. <laughs> it'll be the same messages, but they will obviously be individualised to whatever that person is going through. So, in the moment, at the moment, I'm putting together a program called uh, the Elite Athlete Template, or the Eek Program. Oh, nice, uh, great, yeah, yeah, it's good, it's quality. I was happy with that one, not, but um. Yeah, so it's basically applying the principles used in by athletes at intercounty level. And again, the message or the key underlying message behind the program is that performance is for everyone. I mean, if you're in the office, if you're like, no matter what what it is, I think performance nutrition is kind of just linked with athletes or, or people involved in sport. But the reality is everyone wants to perform and feel their best every day, no matter whether you're a parent or whether you're, whatever your job is. So it's applying those strategies used by athletes to and making them, I suppose, available to, to everybody and, and implementable for, for, for anyone, really, no matter what their level of, of sport they're like. That's exciting that that's getting... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's that's working away. I just, again, want to make sure that it's ready to go on. Thankfully, I'm in the position where I can slow cook and I'm not in a rush to, to, to get it out there. I want to make sure it's right. I want to make sure all the resources are correct. I want to make sure the delivery is on point and that everybody gets that same level of interaction, same level of service. Um, so yeah, looking forward to, to getting that up and running. We'll move on quick for questions to finish. The first one, 
his proudest achievement to date? Probably from a career perspective, I suppose, getting involved with Kerry as someone who has followed Kerry, as a person who grew up in Kerry, followed Kerry my whole life. You know, it's 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 great to be able to 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 be um, involved in the support staff there. It's 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 yeah, it's something I probably never saw happening or so from a from a professional perspective that would probably be it from yeah a personal perspective probably being able to live in Dingle working in what I'm doing and chose to do is probably uh, something I'm I'm very happy with as well to be honest because I suppose when I was in college and and you know studying sports nutrition what are you going to do are you going to do a Dingle sure are you going to uh, you know so I think being able to actually work and, and survive and live at Dingley doing what I enjoy doing and would really even consider work, I'm, I'm, I'm fairly fairly happy with that one as well, to be honest about it. That's a massive thing to be proud of. Yeah. Like, around your community as well. Yeah, What you, exactly. you want. Yeah. And you get that, I suppose. You get it on Saturday. Hopefully the whole community is happy. With yeah. It. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Favourite athlete of all time? LeBron James. Why? Just everything controlled, longevity, never in any hassle or never in the headlines for anything, you know, wrong, career success. As a person, I think what he's done outside the sport and just as a freak, man, to watch. Like, I mean, like a, a fellow who's 6'9", who can, like, he's one of the fastest. He's just, he's just a freak. Like, I mean, he, he ticks all the boxes for me just as a, as an athlete, I mean, I he's just to watch him dunk a ball is just like not new. You know, it's, every time you watch him, you know that something incredible. It's is crazy. Happen. Whether it's a pass, whether it's you know his IQ, just uh, yeah. In, I thought it had to be for me. Like in, in terms of who I enjoy like watching the most, I mean, just from from that, I mean, just from it, what what he's capable of producing, it's it's it has to be LeBron for me. Do you know? And I think longevity, and again, from an SC perspective, you'd be, I'm sure, agree, like, what he's doing is insane. It is insane. Yeah. I think with outliers as well, and it's I have to be careful as well, I wouldn't put it down to the SNC. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 And oh, I think you're deluded if you go in and you're like, oh, I'm going to make LeBron James yeah. better. Yeah. And what he does, like, yeah. just don't break him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Keep doing what you're doing. Yeah. What's the biggest thing that you've learned in the last 12 months? Uh, what's the biggest thing we've learned in the last 12 months? Athletes are people, I think, being honest. I think, you know, you get this misconception, I suppose, when I, when I got involved with Kerry first and the, the senior footballers, you know, they're competing for all Ireland's every year. They're, 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 they go through the same struggles and they go through the same barriers that, that that everyone does and I think yeah I think that's probably the biggest takeaway for me since getting involved in elite sport it's not they don't live elite lives the same lives as everyone else it's just they happen to be incredibly good at Gaelic football do you know what I mean it's that's that's basically it so um, uh, yeah that that was that's probably my main takeaway from this year to be honest but you kind of knew that already. Yeah, I know. I suppose when you were... At home, like... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I guess. Or did you think he was the outlier? What, what, are you, like, Mark, is Mark, it? Mark, Mark, yeah. Like, uh, 
well, I suppose living with, like growing up with Mark, I know I knew he was. It's probably another takeaway, really, really being honest. If I could nearly revise my answer, I suppose living and growing up with Mark, I knew he his mindset was like off the charts. You know, he was unbelievably driven always, and I think that since getting involved with Kerry as well this year, like that is that that when it comes to lead sport, S and C is great. You know, if we all have fellas. And nutrition is great. We all have fellas in the gym who are lift heavy and want start. We all have fellas who eat like unbelievably well and will never play. And that's upstairs. Like that is what sets these fellas apart. Like what sets these men apart is that upstairs. It's the top six inches. It's the resilience when they get injured. It's the when three, you're three points down, who is going to dig out a goal? Like it's the that 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 is that was like my main takeaway and even that's in a dressing room too you know like it's not like all 30 players or all 40 players involved in a panel have that like laser sharp unbelievably driven mindset mindset but that's what sets apart those real tougher forward elite of the elite okay you know that 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 is the game changer but I think what you just touched on there people think it's oh they're so fit they're so strong uh, they must eat like a king that gets them to the ballpark but once they go on to the fields to get everybody back. else is on a level playing field as well because everybody else has done the exact same thing 100%. they get there so what's going to set them apart from then on is the yeah. mindset yeah. whereas you, like I don't know have we worked with people I'm trying to jog my brain that have an elite level mindset but maybe don't have the habits but I think the people with the elite level mindset implement the habits don't they that's, that's part that falls under the bracket of an elite mindset elite, mi- elite mindset is doing what I will do doing what I can do to perform my very best and that's that's implementing those habits that's prepping those overnight oats that's getting into the sea or like do you know what I mean and that's going to bed a tent like you said like that is an elite mindset that, that all falls under the same bracket as far as I'm concerned so if someone has an elite mindset but isn't isn't implementing those habits you spoke about, that's not an elite mindset yeah. as far as I concerned, you know. Um but the real elite, elite elite, like yeah. are the two point stone last one to the game. I want I'll do I want this ball. Yeah. This ball, I'm I'm making this hard run, you know what I mean? I'm this is coming I want the pressure. I want this. You know, that's I like that is so cool to watch. Like that is just so cool to watch. You know, it's yeah, so that 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 for me is is the one that's the the game changer, literally. Yeah, literally, literally. But it is it is. What would you tell your eighteen year old self? <laughs> Try and develop that mindset. <laughs> <laughs> you can't see a psychologist. <laughs> no, um, how to tell my eighteen year old self? Don't force it. Don't force it. I think, and you never know. 100% like you can make an informed decision of what's the best route to take but you never 100% know unless you actually take a chance and go down that road you know and it might be the, it might be the right one you know so you come back and you go again you try the next thing but don't force it um, no to be fair when I tell my 18 year old self I thought I wasn't too bad at that so maybe myself personally I don't know but I, to, be, to be honest I probably expected it too much of myself too soon you know and I think I can still be guilty of this I'm looking at Instagram and I see someone who's 40 or 50 years old and how much they've achieved in their life and you're like sure like where I might be there do you know like you're comparing yourself and again don't compare yourself to anyone is probably the, uh, another key message that I tell my 18 year old self is find your own way comparison is is terrible in our line anyway I think particularly in our line of work I think 
to, you know, you know, work to your beliefs and work to what you believe and, and just leave everyone else to do what they're doing and just try and block out the noise and do your thing. And, and like, yeah, that that's probably what I'd say is, is don't compare, put on the blinkers and, and do your thing. Whether the 18-year-old would listen. Yeah, not me. You know, is another, is another story. Yeah. But fantastic. Thanks for coming on, John. Super. Yeah, enjoy it. Thanks for having me.